So we're going to read our passage now for tonight, and I've asked Priscilla to read it. We're in 1 John, chapter 1, and we're just going to read the first four verses together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So as I said before, this is the, the start of a new series in this book of 1 John, written by the apostle who was with Jesus, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John and the very last book as well, the Revelation that he had. It's a great book and I'm going to just introduce it to us tonight. But as I start, do you guys, anyone like puzzles out there? So this time of um, our, our lives at the minute, we're sort of locked down and there's all sorts of things we do to keep busy. What about sort of word puzzles and um, number puzzles and things? There's been a few of them going around social media. Our family in New Zealand actually have been sharing different puzzles with one another. And uh, normally at night, someone would pop a, a question into our WhatsApp group and would all have a go at trying to answer uh, the puzzle. And I'd, we'd go to sleep and my, my brothers and family out there would be working away trying to solve the puzzle. And then as I, I wake up in the morning, I'd see all these messages and their attempts to guess the answers to their puzzles. It's good fun, and uh, we, we, we enjoy them, trying to sort of use our wits and our brains to try to work out what's going on. I think there's a couple of puzzles in our passage tonight, actually. Uh, something a bit unusual that maybe you wouldn't expect to be there to try to work out what it is. So see if you can try to work this little puzzle out. What is John talking about in these first four verses? He says, that which was in the beginning. So what is the, the that? What is he talking about? What was in the beginning? He says that was in the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, that have touched this, we proclaim concerning the word of life. What is the word of life? Maybe it's quite obvious, isn't it? Especially if you know your Bibles, it's, it's Jesus, isn't it? But is it? Is that what he's talking about? It's a, it's a similar start to a book. There's, there's this gospel, John Chapter 1, verse 1 sounds very similar, actually. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John makes it quite clear in the Gospel of John who the Word is. It's a person. It's a he. He says that. He was with God. But in our passage, it's not so clear, I don't think. See, the first word of our passage in 1 John is that. That which was from the beginning. And then in verse two, he talks about an it. It says, the life appeared, we have seen it. And we testify to it. Now, that's a strange way to describe a person, if that's what it is. Why doesn't he say the life appeared and we have seen him and testify to him? Maybe the word of life is, is not a person. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a puzzle. I've been trying to work these things out. This week, I, I want to sh show my screen for a moment and just um, tell me what, what you see or maybe just 
Uh, tell your neighbour next to you. What do you see, hopefully, on that screen? It looks like a, a lion, doesn't it? A big lion, perhaps? Now, look closer. Do you see anything else in that picture? What if I was to, to turn it upside down? Would you see anything else there in this picture? Don't know if that's worked on your screens, hopefully. Does that picture look a bit different now? Does it perhaps look like a little mouse or a little creature there in this picture that up, that's upside down? See, there's these two things in this one picture. There's a great lion at the start that you can see, but you turn it upside down and there's this little wee mouse also hiding in there. I think in our passage as well, I think there are also two things perhaps being referred to in our passage. What is the word of life? What is John talking about? Well, yes, it's Jesus. That's quite clear. He is the word of life. He's a physical person that that John literally saw with his eyes and he heard and he, and he touched with his hands. He, he laid his head on his chest at the Last Supper. He, he ate fish with him, as we heard this morning. He heard the tone of his voice as it echoed across the hills of Galilee or, or across the sea. But this word of life that John is describing it's also an it. It's a thing. It's something that is to be proclaimed. It's a message. It's a word that is to be testified to others. I think that's why John doesn't use any personal pronouns in the, his introduction. He doesn't call him a, a, a he. He doesn't call the word of life a, a person. It's an it. A person that he does know very well, but it's also the logos, which is the word. It's a message that must be declared. And, and these are two sides of the same coin, as it were. It's two pictures in one image that they can't be separated. And there's another puzzle in our passage, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment. But let me just first try to work through the logic of this introduction. And, and it took me a while to get my head around this as well, because John, if you're familiar with the way he writes, he, he sort of loves to go around and around in circle. He's got very lofty visions of who God is and the language he uses. But what does he say then about this word of life, this person and a message? Well, firstly, he says this word is was from the beginning. He says he was from the beginning. So to try try imagine now, try try remember a point before lockdown. Can you just cast your mind back? Try remember something then perhaps from the past, maybe from last year. Go back a bit further now. Try, try go back to last decade. Keep going back. Help, go back even further. What's your earliest memory you have? Think of that. And, and now go back even before then, you know, before the time that John was writing this letter. And, and go back to, to that moment when, when time first began. And then try and imagine some sort of an existence even before that, before anything existed before the big bang and time and space and matter came into existence you know by the powerful word of god as he spoke and things disappeared can you even picture a time or a, a space an existence before that well this message that john is proclaiming this person was there in the beginning it says verse 2 says this word has existed forever he proclaims to you the eternal life, is how he describes it. See, this life, it has always been. 
In fact, there's no other life except this life. All life that we know derives from this true word of life. Now, as I look out my window here, I can see spring coming into life all around us. It's a great time of year, isn't it? It's, you see the, the buds forming on the trees. Everything's waking up from sleeping. The, the blossoms are blooming. Birds are building nests in the trees. The grass needs cutting again. All this life is exploding around us at this time of year. And it all comes from the creator of life, the one who is life, the word of life. And he was there in the beginning before all things. And all life that we know comes from him. Now verse 2, it goes on to say that this eternal life was with the Father. And it has appeared to us, to John and his, his friends. Now we only worship one God as Christians. But, but for centuries, the church has puzzled over what it means for the word to be with the Father in the beginning. How can there be two beings? Later in chapter four and five of, of this book, John's going to talk about the spirit as well. Chapter five, verse six, the spirit testifies. The spirit is a person too who, who can be recognized. There's a third person within God, what we call the Trinity. Now, I was reading about Jonathan Edwards just recently and his attempts to describe the Trinity. And I've never heard his illustration that he used before. It's fascinating. John Piper was trying to, to explain it and unpack it a bit further. Now, both of them, Edwards and Piper, they're not the easiest to follow sometimes. They, you know, they're quite deep, heavy thinkers, which we're so appreciative of. It takes you a while for your head to get around what they're saying. And or with any illustration, especially when it comes to trying to illustrate who God is, it always falls short. It has flaws. But, but the way he described the Trinity, it was new to me, and I found it really refreshing. So I'm going to try to try explain it to us now. So I want you to try picturing your mind with me. Try picture yourself in your mind. You know, just an image of what you look like. But every angle of who you are, every feature, every character in your mind. And, and now... In that same picture of who you are, try imagine every emotion that you felt, maybe just today even, so every thought as well that you've had today. And try imagine in this picture of yourself, every word you've spoken today, everything that you've done. Add all this to the same picture of yourself. And now add to this all your plans for tomorrow, all your hopes or your dreams or your fears, your worries, and try hold all these pictures together in your mind in one picture. One thought, it's a struggle. We, we can't even do it justice at all to even to begin to order the essence of who one person I am, you are, in, in one image. Now, if we struggle to do that even just for one day of our life, imagine God trying to do a similar sort of thought exercise. Imagine for him, this God who for nothing is impossible, nothing is too difficult. Imagine he could do such a thing. He could picture himself, hold a, a thought of his mind, in his mind of, of who he is, not just of himself today and tomorrow, but of every moment that he has existed, which is for eternity. And he's able to conjure in his mind this picture of himself and his infinite wisdom, his power, his perfection of who he was. And he could hold this, um, this image of himself in his mind, as it were. And because he is so perfect and pure and powerful, this picture of himself that he's holding in his mind would be real almost, because in every aspect of this thought, 
it would be who God is. And so it would be like a living representation of God himself. And you could perhaps call this an image, the image of God. Perhaps you could call that the son of God. And so it almost becomes a distinct being, a person from God himself, the thought of who he is. And then because God is so pure, he's so holy, there's nothing more desirable or worthy than him. Then Edwards, he, he describes then this sweet energy, he says, that would be between the father and himself uh, and, and the son. And there would just be this mutual love, this joy between this image of himself, because he knows exactly what one is thinking and doing exactly the same as the other one does. And so they're perfectly one. And because there's nothing more enjoyable or lovely than God himself, the one delights in the other. And so when he conceptualizes himself, he thinks, this is amazing. This is beautiful. This is good. This is perfect. And this sweet energy, he calls it, would itself be perfect and infinite. And it itself would also almost become a, a separate being between the two of them, what we might describe as the spirit of God. And so this is an attempt, and I don't know how well I've done to describe it. Maybe I've struggled quite badly to describe these three essences within one Godhead, of this image of himself, this perfect image of who God is, and this love, this unity between them, the spirit. And that this is one of the greatest theologians' attempts, at least, to try to give a bit more understanding to the depth of the mystery that is the Trinity. That's only an illustration. It's incomplete. I don't think I've done it justice too well to to get it in words that we understand. Because Jesus, of course, Jesus, he is not just a figment of God's imagination at all. He is a real living human. He is a a real person that John saw and he touched and he could hear and, and testify to. But there's some mystery here that John is aware of, that this word is separate from the Father and it came from the Father and is with the Father. And just for a moment, for us to be able to lift our eyes to think of who this mysterious God is, it, it increases our worship and our delight in who he is. And so while John was able for a time to see and touch the second person of the Trinity, we can no longer do that today, can we? Jesus is not here walking on earth. And that's the main point, in a way, of this opening passage. You see, the middle of verse 2 is the key verb in the whole story. It says, we proclaim to you the eternal life. And he says it again, verse 3, we proclaim what we have seen and heard. The word for us today, then, is something that has been proclaimed. And that's why John is puzzled with these words. He's puzzled to try to describe the word of life to us. Yes, he's a person, but he's also a message. It's something that is to be proclaimed to us today and that's how jesus is revealed to each of us through the proclamation of the apostles that's why john goes to such great lengths to tell us that he he was really with a physical jesus a living material word of life that he could touch and eat with and and walk around galilee with three different times In each of the first three verses, John overwhelmingly emphasizes his credentials. He has heard, he's seen with his eyes, his hands have touched that resurrected body. He testifies to it. 
the other disciples, they are all qualified to testify because, as Andy was telling us this morning, they were there. They saw the resurrected Lord. He, this life, appeared to them. He ate fish with them. The last few weeks in our home here, we've, we've been watching this TV series. It's called The Chosen. And I think it's perhaps one of the best shows that I've, I've ever seen, actually. Certainly one of the best about the Bible, in my view. And I want to just try to show you again just what it looks like so you can see it for yourself. Because I, I really recommend it. This story is the gospel story. And it's been brought to life in a way that I've, I've never really seen uh, another TV series do before. Now we see perhaps the Jesus movie and other stories, but this is here, it's called The Chosen. And it follows Jesus as he chooses the 12 disciples. He goes around Galilee and you see the stories. There's a few clips of, of uh, some of the, the show itself. You need to watch it through an app. It's a free app. Uh, you just search for The Chosen and you can see it. But he brings these characters that we all know well from the Gospels. He brings them to life. And he, there's a lot of poetic license involved there. He sort of tells the backstories and the relationships between the apostles. There's John there and there's Thomas. There's Matthew, the tax collector, which they all hate. And as you sort of feel, you get a sense for what was really going on amongst them. And, and it's amazing because it, it brings to life the real earthliness of who Jesus is and, and, and was and the, the wedding at Cana and what it would have been like for Jesus to be there turning water into wine and to see the couple and their backstory. It's, it's a fascinating show. So we've been watching this recently in our home and uh, our kids have loved it as well. I think it's brilliant and I just want to recommend it to you guys too because it shows us the word of life in a very real way, in a way that John would have known as well. Uh, and that's what he's trying to describe to us here in our passage. And maybe while we're all stuck in our homes for the next few weeks still, have a watch. There's eight episodes there. You can see more of who this word of life is. It's very faithful to, to the scriptures. So the word of life in our passage then, it is Jesus, but it is also the message that he brings. It is eternal. It is the second member of the Trinity. But as we must always ask when we come to the word and we, we open these passages, we, we say, so what? What does this mean then for us here today? What's the point of, of all this? What difference does it make to you and, and me as we sit in our homes here in England or, or around the world? Well, fortunately, we don't have to guess. John tells us in the rest of verse three, ha have a look at it. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, this is the other little puzzle in our passage. Now, what would you have expected Jesus to say, sorry, John to say here? It seems to be a bit of a misprint when I first look at it. You see, John is telling us about the triune God who has actually appeared on earth and who we have fellowship with, he says. And why? Well, you, you think he's doing it so that we too could have fellowship with God. You'd expect verse three to say, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with Jesus, with the word of God. But he doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? He says the reason for proclaiming the word to us is so that we can have fellowship with him, that is with John, with the other the apostles as well. 
And for me, this has been perhaps the biggest surprise or, or even a joy in studying this passage this week. Why does John want us to have fellowship with him? Well, it's given me a greater appreciation or an acknowledgement of how essential the apostles' teaching is. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we're told that the house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. So our faith today, it is completely dependent on the foundation that the apostles laid down. That is the things that John and Peter and Paul and James have proclaimed. The message that the apostles announced on that first day in Pentecost. And then throughout Israel and then into Europe. And, and then as they began to die, they wrote it down for us. And we have their proclamation recorded for us in these books. So why does John write? Well, it's so that we can have fellowship with him. Because the rest of verse 3 says, John's fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so how do we have fellowship with God? Well, John suggests that we can't unless it is through the apostles' teaching. And this is what's been so surprising for me this week. It's reminded me of the importance, the absolute importance of God's word. See, there's no other way to come into fellowship with God other than through the word and through the message that was spoken by his apostles. You see, they were filled, the apostles, with, with that sweet energy, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And as they proclaimed the good news, they recorded it down for us. And as we hear and believe the apostles' teaching, we have fellowship with them because their fellowship is with God. Because that is, so too is ours. And this is important because as we go through the rest of 1 John in the next few weeks, the situation that John was writing into was one where there were some in the church who had wandered away from the apostles' teaching. Chapter 2, verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. So any message that is different to John's message is it's against Jesus. It's anti-Messiah. It's anti-Christ. That's what John calls it in chapter 2. Verse 26, he says, they are trying to lead you astray. Anyone who brings a different message other than what John has taught and the apostles is anti-Christ. And so John opens his whole book by affirming his credentials. He was there. He was called by Jesus. He was one of the chosen to proclaim the word of life to us. And as always, well, God's word is timeless, isn't it? We still need to hear this today. There are still many amongst us who are anti-Jesus. They are anti-Christ. And I'm talking about within the church. It's so dangerous. Perhaps recently you've heard stories. I've heard them of anti-Christs inviting people to worship other gods within Christian church services. I've heard of bishops inviting Muslim leaders to their services, not just to share the gospel with them, but so that in the name of inclusivity, they can all worship their gods together, offering prayers, some in the name of Jesus and others to Allah, the God of Islam. This is idolatry. This is anti-Christ. And it is happening in some places around the world. I'm also aware of 
in denial of the supernatural. It's been going on perhaps since the Enlightenment, even before, teaching that the cross, it was merely an example of God's love. Now, just a picture of sacrifice, but not one of power over death or of atonement. Some claim that the resurrection is just a metaphor, not an actual event. His miracles, the virgin birth, the Old Testament history, just legends, fables with good morals at the end. But what John proclaims, that it's, it's very different. He calls these people liars. Look at chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. The other Antichrist teaching today, it tries to do away with the demands of, of holy living, of discipline, and, and offering instead a cheap grace. John will go on to tell us that we must not love the world or the lusts of our eyes or the pride of life. Now, the number of churches today are growing who, in the name of progress, they do away with the Lord's teaching on marriage and sexuality. The mantra that, that God just wants you to be happy. You know, so be who you want to be, sleep with who you want to sleep with. T tolerance, they say, means accepting all lifestyles. But John writes this letter to us, and it's so timely. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, he's writing it so that you will not sin. Chapter 2, verse 26 says, I'm writing this so that those who are trying to lead you astray, you'll be warned about. And then back in our passage, the first four verses as I close. What's the point of it all? He says, I'm writing this so that his joy would be complete. And so this is the so what of our passage. You know, like a father who longs for his children not to be hurt, not to walk into danger. Well, so John, he's desperate for us to trust the message that he and the apostles alone are qualified to proclaim. And it will give him, he says, the greatest joy to know that we share in the fellowship that he enjoys with Jesus. He, with the other apostles, they were uniquely called to proclaim the good news. That is, they defined for us who and what the eternal word of life is because the spirit of God filled them as the Lord chose them. And so this book, the Bible, if you read it, it is a closed book in a sense. No more can be added to the words of this book. There is no new revelation of God's character or the way of salvation or the demands for what holy living looks like. We have fellowship with God only by being in fellowship with the apostles' teaching. So fellowship, this doesn't just mean having a cup of tea after the service together. Biblical fellowship, it's sharing something in common. But more than that, it's, it's like a marriage. It's to be united together with one mind, to partner with another. John, he knew what unique fellowship with Jesus was like in a physical way, but also in a spiritual way. And so it's appropriate for us, you know, in our isolation here to consider that though we are apart, though we are not together physically as a church, we can nevertheless, we can enjoy fellowship with God through the teaching of the apostles and with one another. And that's something to celebrate. And so when we are together again at 181, or when we're in our small groups and in one another's homes again, though we are such a diverse group of people, 
we're young, we're old, we're, we're single, we're married, we're black, we're white, we are English, we are foreign. No matter who you are or, or where you are from, we are one in Christ. And we have fellowship through the apostles' teaching and therefore fellowship with the word of life himself, with God, our creator. And so we must treasure this book. We must read it regularly, discuss it in our small groups. Are you part of a small group? We're still meeting on Zoom each week, most of us. And so if you're not part of a group, please get in touch. There's, you can join a group and we'd love to. It's a great way now to do it from the comfort of your own home, to join in, a, in one of our small groups, to get into the word even more. See, this is the word of life. It's the message that Jesus, he proclaimed to his apostles and they shared that, these eyewitnesses throughout the whole world. But his message, not always an easy message. It challenges us, it rebukes us, it even offends us as, as we wrestle with our sin. But John knew the joy of having fellowship with the word of life. Psalm 119, verse 103 says, The word it tastes sweet, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So I pray that we would all know that joy more and more of feasting on the delicious and the life-giving word of God. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we thank you for the power of your word, this word of life that is still being proclaimed today. Please help us to teach your word rightly, to rest on the apostles' teaching alone and on nothing else, that which has been revealed to us through your word that we have in our scripture. Keep all those who have the task of teaching one another, keep them close to you, humble before you, and that we would know the power of the spirit enabling us to teach your word well. As we all have opportunity to open our Bibles together, would you lead us in our homes, with our families, with one another, in our small groups, wherever we are, may we come under your word and be changed by it. There's no other way to know fellowship with you than through your word. So we pray that we would treasure it more and more each day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.